It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy, with your hosts, Eric, Isaac, and Caleb. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as the MCU TV shows and the music of Michael Giacchino. The reason I say it was like one of those uh, animated movies, um, Black Adam, yes, is because it it kind of just revolves around the action set pieces, and then that's it. Like, it, and it, it just tries to keep you entertained. Like, huh. like there's like I feel like they're just spinning plates the whole time. Like watching like a like um like a short film or a music video, but except it has like the the running time of a feature length movie. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I think there was there was some social commentary in there. There was some some character work for Black Adam, even though if it wasn't particularly great. But, but there was enough there. That stuff was like fringe dressing though, the stuff you're talking about. Yes, it existed, but it was it was uh, it was barely there. Yeah, well at least it's it's more there than Justice League. I mean I don't feel like there was anything in Justice League really, except for what like you said, just stream action scenes together it was just kind of like watching over me i feel like there was more, there was more of an attempt of filling out backstory and especially you know much better in the snyder cut um because yeah completely different yeah but still i cannot discount how much simply having gal gadot on the big screen can like fill in so many blemishes for me on on so many different projects it i'm serious it makes such a huge difference. Um, it made Wonder Woman eighty four totally watchable, even though it was, like I said, a catastrophe. No, that's that's fair. She was a lot of fun in that. I didn't think she was particularly fun in the Justice League, but no. But there is like so many intentional upskirt shots in that movie in particular. Oh, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> I was like, wow. It was fantastic. Like this is where we're at here, and all like the weird. There was like a weird boob joke in there at one point. I was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and what's funny is James Gunn and Peacemaker. Like there was a lot of really out there, super raunchy humor, but there's a sort of earnest quality to it where he could pull it off. It wasn't. It felt like uh, an adult playing with a 13-year-old's mind, not a 13-year-old. Playing with his action figures. Wait, which which James Gunn thing are you talking about right now? A Peacemaker. Oh yeah, Peacemaker and um, that and Suicide Squad, the, the second one. Both of those remind me of how humor worked in movies, especially rated R movies, prior to like the current generation we're in right now. So approximately prior to 2012. Mm. Um, 
is this is like the old school humor um pre wokeness yeah um and i was just amazed i talked about it at the time i don't know if it was with you or with other people but i was amazed that somehow like once he survived his short canceling um it's almost like he became untouchable and he could do like he could do things that no one has been able to do for nearly 10 years now yeah and i actually got a little insight on that because i was reading some interviews from him and he was saying that after he like lost everything during that canceling he felt like his career was over and he was feeling like he had to restart his life and then getting suicide squad it was like getting his life back and also being like hey i at this point, I, I've got nothing to lose anymore. I can just do whatever I want. So so I guess he does have that kind of mentality. Just the, the fuck you mentality. And it works for him. It works fantastic in Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. Yeah, it's what made Peacemaker feel so refreshing compared to everything else. And it, it blew my mind because, I mean, obviously there's a different creative, creative force at the helm. But I think that show just... I'm not... Sure, I think it's the same production company that's done all the recent DC live. In other words, it's like the same production company that did the stupid Arrowverse, but then also did the better Titans and Doom Patrol stuff, and then the Peacemaker stuff. I think it's all the same production company, even though huh. all those projects are wildly different flavors and tones. That's interesting. Huh. Oh, but, but for Black Adam, I, me- I referenced it because uh, I think, Isaac, you said you were wondering, like, Peacemaker, how does it hold up against these Marvel shows? I did. And so that inspired me to go back and rewatch The Suicide Squad, which I hadn't seen since the theater. Held up even better. Better movie than I remembered. Probably James Gunn's best of the superhero movies he's done. And, yeah, that I went right into Peacemaker, and I will say... I think it's a touch above most of the Marvel stuff that we've seen post-Netflix stuff. Most of the Marvel... Yeah, exactly. I'm shocked. Most of the Marvel shows have been, you know, mediocre to terrible, except for the original Daredevil and and certain things from that original Netflix. Like, not all the stuff was good, but most of the Netflix stuff was good. I don't know about mediocre to terrible. I think they've all been okay and then a few standout ones i don't think any of them except for maybe she hulk have been you know on the bad scale even miss marvel turned around and surprised me mixed reviews ladies and gentlemen yeah yeah but that was just like that was just like miss marvel was like okay but it was nothing to like for me to tell my friends to watch or to write home about it was just fine it was you know nothing offensive although it felt offensive initially you know, I had, to keep, I, had to, I had to keep watching until it smoothed itself out. Let me look at the list of the stupid Disney uh, um, Marvel shows. Because I remember you. Oh my god, that is so loud. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're getting full folly on that. Yeah, I remember. I remember you saying that you were surprised that Peacemaker could get away with some of its more controversial uh, humor. Oh yes. But in its own way, I I'm surprised it doesn't get some woke labels as well. I mean, having the one of the main characters be a lesbian, we see a lot of scenes of her and her wife together. There's also, at the end, like a pretty pretty in-your-face political messaging about the environment. And throughout, there's, there's also constant knocks to 
racists and, and stuff like that. I mean, it was definitely a left-wing show. But I, I don't... I It could be left-leaning, I suppose. Um, but oh, it's there. That, but that's not the same thing as something that is leftist or woke. That is not, that is not the same thing as that. Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, maybe according to you, but I see a lot of these other people throwing woke around, and they don't... Uh, they seem to think anything left-wing at all is woke. That is an extreme minute um faction of people on the extreme right yeah i don't know about that <laughs> no who just who just automatically label every anything that sniffs like no that, that is that is a small i mean they may be a loud minority but but that's taking a fraction of a fraction i mean that's like really parsing it down those people who hold those who think that any color or any um, non-traditional sexuality that that's that's really parsing like a small these are the folks who look at dr strange and go woke movie two lesbians on screen for like less than a minute woke no that's that I, that's like i said that's that's a fractional group that's fringe well i'm surprised i'm surprised that they didn't come out for peacemaker because it also feature two black lesbians and for a lot more screen time than Doctor Strange. Yeah, like said, that, that, it's not, no one cares about lesbians, I mean, just like that. Oh, I saw it. I saw it all over the place. Um, then I don't know what right-wing sites you're hanging out or right-wing neighborhoods, virtual neighborhoods you're hanging out in. Facebook and Twitter. I mean, if I'm just looking for those type of comments, I mean, of course you can always find those things like on anything. on any. Oh, but I'm not looking. I just see the movie come up, and then here comes a bunch of folks pissed off about something like that. But see, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, for, I spend less than 20 to 30 seconds looking at comments, let's say, on Facebook. I feel like the way to gauge a better, a better understanding of what's going on out there is, like, watching a variety of, like, YouTube videos, um, and knowing... Wow. And knowing what those people, how they usually judge things ahead of time, and then seeing how they react to new stuff, I think that's a better gauge than... Because you can find those comments randomly on anything, um, no matter what it is. Yeah, but wouldn't you say that's a, a more broad gauge? Because the YouTuber community is it's in itself pretty insular. No, but you got to know where they stand ahead of time. Because I already know, like, because, you know, there's certain ones I frequent... And so I already know where all of them are somewhere on their little, on the spectrum of like where they politically stand based upon what I've seen them say before. So then I already know who they are. And then when something new comes around, then I can see how they react to X, Y, Z. And I didn't hardly like Peacemaker. I never heard a negative thing ever um, on YouTube. Um, so, and this is by people who like to point out you know, woke stuff, fringe stuff. And so if they're not saying anything, then therefore it doesn't exist. Like this criticism, other than, like I said, you can find anything on Twitter or Facebook negatively reflecting on anything, no matter how good it is. Yeah, I never heard of a peacemaker. That, that's why I just think it's weird. Why they single out stupid examples like that as being somehow woke, but then peacemakers fine. It just seems weird. No, because it doesn't. It doesn't hit. Like I said, it's not just about seeing diversity, 
whether it's diversity of color or ethnicity or sexual orientation, that's not what what triggers um, the woke pejorative. It's it's underwritten characters who do things that don't make sense, um, who don't react. And once you finish She-Hulk, there's plenty to discuss. Once you get to the end of it, there's plenty to discuss about that show as it pertains to this subject. Um, but I'm just looking at the the Disney Marvel series. She-Hulk, the ultimate worst. Loki was fine. This is just my personal opinion. Oh, Loki was good. Yeah, I quite like Loki. Yeah, Loki was good. It was it was it was one of the better ones. WandaVision, I liked most of it until the underwhelming finale. Because yeah. they, they and I don't know if you were following like um, what people were saying at the time and everyone expected something huge at the end because certain things got blown out of proportion, like expectations. No, I wasn't really following, but I was yeah, let down by it. I still think it's a good show, though. Because what's his name? The actor, um, the actor who I can't think of his name, and I just saw him. Bellamy, Bellamy, not Bellamy, um, the one who plays Vision. Oh, oh yeah, Paul what? Bettany. Thank Bettany. you. <laughs> I was thinking of Bellamy, who was someone from MTV back in the old days. Um, I just watched Solo like a day and a half ago. I mean, anyway, see, he did an interview. Um, before the end of the series run and he said that he's so excited because he said at the end of the series he gets to act with somebody that he's always like that he, he like it was like the most exciting thing to get to act with this person so then people built it up to like all these theories about like i don't know i can't even remember who people were thinking like they were like oh what are they saying um, well, you know, a lot of people thought for sure it was going to be Doctor Strange. Um, that was the most popular theory. But then people, like, went wild. Like, I can't remember, but they were like, Doctor Doom. Or, like, they were just throwing out all kinds of crazy things. Like, who could be this amazing cameo? And have you guys seen the end of WandaVision? So I don't spoil anything. I have. But, yeah, Isaac hasn't watched anything MCU since 2018. So It's a spoiler, but it's a mild spoiler. So he made this statement trying to hype up the end because he's like, I get to act with someone like it was so exciting and never got, never thought I'd be able to do that. So like I said, everyone went completely wild with their speculation. Um, but see, what he meant was, and this is the mild spoiler, is if you've seen the end, he gets to act with himself. And that's really what he was alluding to. But he didn't realize that people were going to completely take his words out of context. And it just screwed up the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I definitely didn't see any of that. <laughs> that wasn't my uh, expectations. <laughs> um, and, so, and then Hawkeye, I personally loved because I already oh, yeah. said it earlier. I love that's like one of the best comic runs of recent years that it was based upon. And I am just sucker, suck, such a sucker for Haley Steinfeld. Um, so that was just like a purpose Reese's peanut butter cup for me, but, but very low viewing by everybody else out there. Unfortunately. Oh, really? Huh? But yeah. Really, really fun series. Moon Knight was just kind of like weird. I love, yeah. um, Oscar Isaac. I completely love him in anything, but it was just kind of like, okay. Yeah. But the, the sad thing with Moon Knight is it's one of those shows like uh, WandaVision, except to a worse extent. Where it was really good, really bold for the MCU, 
until you get to the last episode, then it's like, wait, now it's all kind of turned to a clusterfuck. Like, what happened here? So, it's, it's, yeah, so it's kind of confusing. And then also yeah. that, that one had, you know, not the greatest numbers either. Miss Marvel, we already talked about. Um, yeah. What else? Is that it? Oh, Falcon, Winter Soldier. Yeah, for some reason that's, that's on my screen. But um, that one was just not interested um, for me personally. And that was, and that was a bit woke. It wasn't super woke, but it was a bit woke. That that, that didn't help me. <laughs> I don't know about that. It was. But no, I thought that was a really good show. Some really um, cool commentary, and I like picking up on those two characters, and also one of my favorite MCU movies. Uh, Winter Soldier one. Winter Soldier, the movie, I love that movie. Yeah. But I I just, I don't know. Um, see, I, got, I do have to pick a bone. Not to spoil anything, but I, I don't know. I, I don't see how that would be considered woke if you, with your uh, uh, policy of it, because it's uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because it had some genuine commentary. It wasn't like inserted in or underwritten. It was trying to make a very clear message that the whole series was revolving around i get that part it's just this is one of the ones that falls in the category of uh where the casting and like a lack of development for the newly introduced characters is just well subpar subpar world crafting i don't know about that but maybe we'll discuss that more in detail at some point yeah but it's it's like the antithesis of the amazing Winter Soldier movie. Oh, I definitely don't agree there. I think it was carrying a lot of the themes back and returning some more like genuine social commentary to the MCU, which they hadn't had in many years. <laughs> oh my god, what was that? Sound like a gunshot. Is that from you, Isaac? <laughs> no, that was here. But I coughed, but it's like I this is like what was that like an Indiana Jones movie? Where like somebody was like coughing and then there was something happening simultaneously in the background i feel like that was from one of the original uh jones movies isaac do you remember that i don't i don't remember but it's been a number of years since i watched those holy i think it's one of those oh it was the part it was in last crusade when indy was trying to break the um the tile floor the, the stone floor and it was happening simultaneously with the librarian was like stamping the books oh, yes yes <laughs> so that's what just happened because i coughed but it sounded here like a fucking gunshot went off at the same time that i coughed yeah it did wow that's that's scary it scared the shit out of me maybe it's fireworks left over from uh halloween yeah i mean i know what a gun really sound that wasn't really a gun but it also wasn't a firework either i don't know what that was it scared the shit out of me maybe it was a pallet dropping <laughs> I know those can be scary as fucking times. Okay, it, it did sound more like something like akin to that. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Holy shit. Yeah, who knew that those things could make as much noise as they do? It's just crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. I think that's it for the Disney Marvel. Yeah, so a relatively... This is somewhat of a mixed bag, but still leaning towards good, I think. I think the quality control has been decent so far. I still think. I think, still think it's medium to... The past. Yeah, and I'm not going to call any of them necessarily great shows. I don't think any of them have reached the level of Peacemaker, but um, oh, not at all. But still, I think solid, solid work. Peacemaker's just yeah, that's that's like a genuinely uh, it's just one that's like one of the ultimate best. 
Yeah, genuinely great shows. <laughs> I think at the time. Oh wait, was it? What? Did I, where, where did it air? Was it on HBO? Uh, yeah, HBO Max. Yeah, because it felt like an HBO show, whatever that means. Yep, absolutely did. Okay, where is that coming from? Hold on. I don't know what that was. Yeah, I mean, it stopped before I could find it. That wasn't on one of your ends, was it? Wasn't on mine. I don't even know if Isaac's still there. I think he may have left. So, well, oh. no, I'm giving Eric the floor <laughs> oh, okay. for pit sakes. You know, I'm just, I'm just in here. In my room. I got okay. Here's what's on. I got my computer that's plugged in. I got my light that's plugged in. I got my alarm clock that's plugged in, and I technically have my uh, ceiling fan light that's on right now. Other than that, there should be almost like no noise. Oh, it was like a sink. And, yes. and now I think I'm in a. Now I think I'm like in a haunted situation. Could be. Do you have any intention of watching uh, Andor at some point, Isaac? Of of oh of Andor oh um so have okay so so, so you're saying the prequel to uh, Star Wars Infinity War right? Uh, what is Star Wars Infinity War? Like like are they finally doing it? Like is it the prequel to like remember I told you like a long time ago that like all these live action shows Dave Filoni the Kevin Feige himself he's like he's he, all these shows that he did, like, so Clone Wars, Bad Batch, wow. Resistance, I don't know if he did Resistance, Rebels. He did Resistance. Mandalorian, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, uh, wow. the, the Ahsoka show, all these ones, he's he's making the Infinity War, right? Like, he's making, um, uh, what is it, the, the Thrawn oh. trilogy. He's doing, he's doing the, like, Thrawn is Thanos. Like he's doing, he's doing that right. So okay. that's why Andor is the the prequel to Infinity. Like, like it's, it's okay. Happy, I, right? I, I kind of see what you're saying now. Okay, so <laughs> Filoni, with all those pro- most of those projects that he's that he has a hand in, yes, he is leaning towards something with Thrawn for sure. I, I'm I'm not sure about. Well, I don't know. It almost seems like there's two different tracks though, because because it kind of seems like a soap. I don't know. I don't, but okay, fine. Yes, eighty percent. It seems like he's going that way with his projects. But the thing with Andor is that it's decidedly not under Filoni's um, helm. So this is this is not in his in his playpen. This he doesn't have a hand in it. It is independent of Filoni's Star Wars verse. I mean, it's obviously in canon, of course. But this is not Floney. Floney has no hand in Andor. And you can feel it. It feels very different. You can feel it. Oh, you can feel it. <laughs> but. And, and I. Oh, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Hold, hold your thought, Caleb, for once. Hold your thought. Sure. Fair enough. I, I didn't know that Dave Floney did not do that show. Thank you for correcting me on that. But Dave Filoni has control of the Thrawn trilogy. And he can take whoever he wants from Andor and put it in his, like, episode 7, 8, 9 TV series. Theoretically, he could. So, that's, yeah, that's the only thing. Obviously, uh, Andor's dead, but whoever, like, are still alive, um, he can he can just bring in and have them in his, uh, once again, uh, Thrawn Trilogy uh, TV series. Theoretically, he could, but... A better but not perfect analogy would be to say, pretend like Snyder was still running the DC live action stuff. Like, was he? 
I don't think he was. I thought he was just doing his own thing. Like he wasn't the freaking Kevin Feige of of DC. I never believed that. He was. He was. He was. he was running it. He was running it until all the stuff went down with Justice League, and and in his and his son being killed. Yeah. Well, he had no movies then because there was literally no uh, daughter, by the way. Um, uh, but like, oh, daughters. What do you mean he had no movies? Suicide Squad was very much. Very much in his universe. I mean, he was doing Man of Steel, the first Wonder Woman, the Justice League. All that stuff had his fingerprints all over it. Um, yeah. And even, even, though, even though he didn't make the original Wonder Woman, but you, obviously he cast Gal Gadot and all that other stuff. So he was yeah. basically like the closest thing. It was him and I can't remember the DC guys from the comic side who were basically running things at that point. But pretend like he was still kind of running things and pretend that um, James Gunn wasn't the new guy as he is now, and so just imagine James Gunn doing his Suicide Squad movie off in the corner and like Peacemaker. I was gonna say Pacemaker. Um, so, so before all like the change of of lead and everything, uh, imagine James Gunn is in his little corner doing his own little thing while Snyder was doing the rest of the stuff, and that's kind of like what this Andor is like. Because Filoni is doing the majority of stuff, but then Gilroy is over here in his own little Star Wars corner, playing with his own Star Wars toys, making up like his own Star Wars stories that are in canon, of course. Um, but it, it is, like like Caleb said, you can feel the difference. This is like such a different showrunner um, who has a completely different style of storytelling. And he, he his, his imprint, which is different from Filoni, is all over his stuff. And and Rogue One the movie kind of gives you an idea, but that it doesn't really give you an idea because because that's just him Gilroy starting to like form his own thing, but he takes it to a whole crazy other level in in the series of making it more distinct. Yeah, and giving us real characters. I mean, that was the problem with Rogue One. The characters felt completely fake, like they were orchestrated to make you like them in like one scene, and then they just expect you to that to carry you for the rest of the movie. Maybe he's just a long form storyteller because if that wrote because I rewatched Rogue One also like a couple days ago because I wanted to reflect on it again, and it is, it is jarring once you're used to Andor, um, and uh, I could imagine Rogue One being redone in like nine or 10 episodes for a season and how much mm. better it would be. And I think, I think he's just, a, he's just more a long form storyteller. And so when you watch Andor the movie, it just feels like you're watching the condensed abridged version of, of a bigger story. Yeah. But to get back to Eric's original question, do you have any interest in watching that Isaac or still, still kind of signed off from the Star Wars stuff? Well, I no. <laughs> uh, plain flat. No, like, uh, just, I'm good. Well, that's uh, fair. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I still gotta read like the first Thrawn book, so like, uh, yeah. Thanks for asking, but uh, no. Just curious. <laughs> I like I I think it's I think it's the best Star, Wars, but I mean, it depends on your taste. But for my taste, it's it's the best Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back. I think. Uh no, that's not your no. You're wrong. That's that's your see. You're uh. wrong, sir. For you, the Clone Wars is the best Star Wars, Star Wars thing to happen since Empire Strikes Back. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, that is not true. That is not true. 
No, that is not true. Eric, the Clone Wars super fan. Uh, it's it's that's one man. No, no, no. There's really good stuff in the Clone Wars, and the best stuff of the Clone Wars is really good. That comprises, I don't know, twenty percent of the entire run of Clone Wars because the rest of the eighty percent is fine, but not must see. There's like 20%. But even if we just focus on the 20%, that's the must-see. Um, and some of it's really good in that 20%. Andor is still better. And it's something different. It is. Because, again, that stuff is some of Filoni's best work. The 20% that's really good. That's some of Filoni's best work. But this is this is not Filoni. This is something totally different. Yeah, and it's, it's a very welcome change because... I could give a pass to especially the second season of Mandalorian. I think that was probably the best stuff that I've seen from him. But Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian season one, I mean, those are both like relatively mediocre, but leaning good. Yes. Yeah, it's much, much better than any of that stuff. See, like like we were just saying about Peacemaker, um, it feels like an HBO slash DC show. In other words catering more to an adult audience or adult skewing or thinking audience. And that's what makes it feel very different from most of the other DC show stuff. Andor very much feels to me like it was on the HBO network and not on the Disney plus network. It feels like the first time star Wars is gone, like HBO, whatever that means, like the world of Sopranos and game of Thrones. That's what Andor is. And I'll just say on that, and then we can jump into this movie. I think the only thing holding this show back is that it's still working in that PG-13 rating. It doesn't feel like a show that belongs in that space. Like, we open up, essentially, this is minor spoilers, but not really. We open up going to kind of like a a brothel kind of place. But it feels super-duper chaste. They never really make that explicit. And then we get kind of a pretty violent um, scene after that with no blood and it's kind of like oh this scene as much as it was a well done scene it's really missing the impact of having genuine violence that you just can't get away with with PG-13 so I think that's a weakness for the show but that being said and I've said this more to Caleb I don't know if either of you heard this from me so I have not felt terror or suspense since I was a young kid and there was the scenes in Empire where Luke goes into the cave and he has that whole situation, that whole, I don't know what you want to describe that as. That used to freak me out when I was little. Like that was, and that was like the only time I ever felt afraid watching Star Wars like in my life or tense or like some type of pent up fear or apprehension or tension was when I was young and I was watching that scene. And I've never had that feeling ever again watching Star Wars until Certain particular points I could I could point at if, if we want to do spoilers. There's certain moments in certain episodes where I have been on the edge of my seat. Like if, if a random sound went off in wherever I was, I would just scream. And there's these moments in Andor where they, they ratchet up the psychological tension. And it is like watching like a slasher... Suspense. I'm not saying they have a, a slashery horror like moment. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying because of what's happening, because of the way Gilroy paces things and sets things up, he sets things up over multiple episodes. 
and then when it like it feels like you're watching Psycho or some type of psychological like horror, and it's happened on like three or four occasions in particular moments. Star Wars has never done that since I was a little kid seeing those cave scenes. That never happened at any point watching Clone Wars or anything Filoni's ever done. Um, so this is something else completely different. Yeah, and I'll say before we move on, one of the things that has me the most intrigued with this show so far is it feels like it might be the first thing in the, the kind of um, film version of Star Wars to tackle the fascist element of the Empire. Like there's, and they're do, they're building it kind of subtly in these first two episodes, but you yes. can see this just kind of disturbing element of yes, these regular troopers who are deeply fascist, and that's cool. Yes, that's a that's a great comment considering you've only seen two episodes. The Empire has never seen ever as terrifying as it does as you watch more of the series. The like how they say like in Doctor Who, oh, so-and-so made Daleks scary again, or Cybermen's The Empire has never seen so terrifying um, or Nazi-like until you see a good chunk of Endor. They're on a whole different level. Like, forget about Darth Vader. This is just like, they made Stormtroopers and whatever like fucking scary. Mm-hmm. Um, like Stormtroopers in the classic sense, World War II sense. Scary. Yeah, people who just look like regular guys, but they're just programmed in a very disturbing way. So that that's cool. I'm very curious to see how that's going to develop. Oh, it's going to develop. Oh, but yeah, I guess we'll move on to uh, yeah the main event, True Lies. I got to hit the restroom before we officially start that. Me too. Be right back. Sure. Well, then, I guess it's just me here. I know Caleb can still hear me. <laughs> He's probably going to smirk as I'm saying this. That was interesting. You know, after them saying that, I'm going over like what Andor sounds like. Maybe I will give it a chance since that is kind of what I've wanted to see from Star Wars. If they're re- if we're going back to the originals, of course, to actually flesh out the Empire and show them what they were, which was Nazis. <laughs> like, it's pretty much what they were. So, maybe I'll give it a shot. I did have this whole idea where I wanted to see, like, three films that coincided with, like, the original trilogy. And they each follow, like, a group of normal people who just see, like, how their lives are like. Maybe that's what Andor's doing. I don't know. Were you saying something, Isaac? Sorry. No, but did you, did you hear me, though? Like, I, I, I assume you did, no. right? Oh, no, what? I just see that you're recording track. Oh, never mind. Um, so... How's, uh, have you watched and or had you looked at any of the stuff I sent you over Discord? Um, I did watch that Joker thing. I think you sent me something else, but I haven't checked my Discord. It's been so flooded with messages from the Geeklution chat that I've been avoiding it. <laughs> oh, you sent me one more. If Batman was an MCU movie. <laughs> I don't think it's an actually, like, a good trailer or at least a good rendition of how the MCU would look. Because, honestly, it would be way brighter. Like you'd have to really brighten it up because that, <laughs> that clip itself is just way too dark. Yeah, maybe I'll watch that after this. But I am very excited for that Riddler Year One book. That's yeah, that'll that looks be cool. an interesting companion piece, like you said, to the Batman. And golly, man, I've been—I I don't know why—I've been—I've had the Batman 
uh, theme stuck in my head all day, like almost like for two days straight. Like the Giacchino score, like it's <laughs> it's really good. I don't know why. And I listened to on the, mm. at least on my you know streaming service, whoops, my music streaming service. Um, I I was listening to the I haven't listened to the full score yet, but man, the last track that I have at least on here, Sonata in Darkness. It's like an intermission, uh, intermission song almost, or his piece. Like, God, you gotta listen to it, man. Giacchino, mm. I don't know what that man is. That man is yeah, it's shocking. Like, <laughs> I, I tell you, he's he's held back. He's honestly been held back. I will, I will say this: the Catwoman theme. Uh, it, there's there's hints of Elastigirl, uh, medleys or, or leaf motifs, uh, from like the Incredibles or the Incredibles too. But I, I don't mind that. Um, I don't know how much he uses the strings in that or, or the horns and the. Ah, I just I love this I love this score so much. Yeah, just on Giacchino being held back, it's it's him. I think for the longest time he lost inspiration. As someone who was a giant fan of his work on Lost for many years, in like the fifth and sixth season, until the last episode, it just felt like he had lost all interest in the show and was just scoring it by like painting by numbers. And I was like, wow, what happened to this guy? He was so brilliant, and I just became bitter on him after that. And the more movies that he made, the more I could just feel him painting my numbers. But yeah, no, his work in The Batman was, yeah, just incredible. Really, really great stuff. No, you're right. That's what it is. It's like, by the fifth and sixth season, he was just doing it because I have to finish it, or, you know, he's a dead horse, he's a zombie by that point. And I kind of wish that he... I hope he wasn't under contract, but I, I kind of wish that he just said, you know what, that's that's enough for me. And he sh- like he's been burnt out. I can't do much more. I, but I can't say that because I'm not in his shoes and I don't know what he's feeling like. Yeah. Uh, so And I don't know what I would personally do if I was in that situation. I, I don't know. I, I would love to have known if he if he just felt like I'm doing this for the fans, which that's, that's a toxic mentality, by the way. I, I think that's... Yeah. I think that's really... Okay, and that's that's a whole question of selflessness versus selfishness in that, like, is he being selfless by continuing to stay and, and finish the score? Uh, or is he or is he selfish in that he... Um, to, to renew himself and to exper- or, or go and find different places to, I guess, try new things with, uh, he himself uh, leaves the show. Does that make sense of just, like... Yeah. Okay, I know. I'm getting philosophical here. I haven't specifically read deep on this subject, but I I wouldn't have looked at it the way y'all just framed it, like the end of Lost, um, because I don't know how he would have been so burnt out at that point in his career, even though I know he was on Lost, because Lost is what made him famous, and he, he's definitely been a pal of J.J. Abrams because J.J. Abrams is the one who put him on the map by by involving him in those pro- in his projects back in the, in those days see i feel like he just wanted to move to movies he was done doing tv but it was kind of like oh, i might as well finish it out but then he was just delivering this really lackluster work it's like wow he may definitely put different effort into different projects for sure um like you know his focus or love may be somewhere else because I can kind of, because because I really like Giacchino myself, but 
you know, there's there's certain works that stand out and certain ones that don't. And so, yeah, maybe he does focus his attention elsewhere because of whatever reason. But I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily burned out. And I was a big fan of him back then too, and his and his scores and lost, and and obviously I was a big fan of him doing the score for Star Trek 2009. And I mm. thought that I heard a lot of lost stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Get rehab, which I liked. I mean, in a James Horner kind of way, because I've always said that everyone knows James Horner would plagiarize himself more than anybody. Um, but I was still in for it, even though I it's it was apparent what James Horner was doing. Oh, I was bitter with Star Trek 2009. I was bitter, <laughs> and same with uh, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. I was like, ah, he's. He's aping so much of the other theme. He's not really adding enough of his own. Here's Lazy Giacchino again. So I had a number of years of bitterness just building up against him. And Doctor Strange. Oh, that was the worst. But Isaac, I don't know if, if you had heard. I told um, Caleb another uh, another time, but I, I watched that werewolf thing that was on, on uh, Disney Plus Marvel. And I was like, okay, something something a little bit different than the other Marvel stuff, but okay, whatever. And I didn't realize until after I watched it that not only did Giacchino score it with this old-timey black black and white era type of mm-hmm. score, but it's actually his directorial debut, and that just like completely blew me away because apparently he really put his all into this because he kind of yeah. did like a what kind of like what Coppola was doing when he did his Dracula movie oh, that as much as possible he tried to use old-fashioned old-fashioned movie practical effects techniques and it's all over the place because this thing is it's made to reflect like 30s um horror movies black and white horror movies and it's i had no idea that michael giacchino had some type of pension for that or something because like i said it was a directorial debut huh that's okay wait so was it do do you remember caleb was it yeah zombie did he was he was a musician first before he was a filmmaker correct oh absolutely okay (laughs) Okay, so who else? Oh, great. Okay. I'm oh, sorry, no. Caleb. More derailing. <laughs> We're going to start another series at some point. It's oh. going to be musicians turned directors. And not of music videos, but of movies. Oh, I can think of one right now. Yep. Yeah, what are you thinking? I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, well, how many, of, how, how many has Bowie done? And I said directors, not oh. actors, but, like, did Bowie ever direct anything? Not that I know of. Okay. I don't think he's directing. And I don't think... I know what Eric's typing right now. <laughs> um, I just gave him ideas. I can tell you one that I'm holding right now. Uh, Wait. Okay, wait. I feel like I knew... There's some 70s dude that did this. Um, okay, what, what is it? Who is it? Yeah, directed by David Byrne of The Talking Heads. It is True Stories. Have you guys heard of this? <laughs> okay. I have not Never heard, heard of it, but he's one of the top names that comes up. Um, like, there's there's Questlove, David Byrne, Madonna, Frank Sinatra, Fred Durst, RZA, Childish Gambino. Oh, interesting. Um, Ice, Ice Cube. Oh, golly, that's right. That fanatic movie that, the, that Red Letter Media reviewed. That's uh, that was Fred Durst. I forgot about that. Fanatic. I don't know if I know that Let's one. See who's at the bottom of the list. Fred Durst, Rizzo, Josh Kennedy. 
I only I just watched it either last night. No, I did. I watched Prince. some of it last night. Purple Rain. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he directed that. Yeah, I, I'm getting crucified. That's fine. I never, I never knew that. I never knew he did. I accept the audience crucifying me, and all <laughs> Prince fans as well crucifying me. That's okay. That's one of those '80s movies that, for some reason, I have never seen. Me neither. Never seen that. Oh, and I'm not counting Doug Jones, given that that's his son. That's a different story. Huh? Uh, uh, Doug Jones, you know, uh, uh, David Bowie's son. Oh, and then Bob Dylan did one thing. Oh, what? One, he directed one movie. He did uh, Wonder Boys. I'm not sure. No, never. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess, okay, Jack Black's weird because he's both actor and artist, so I don't know mm-hmm. where he, like, falls under. Depends which one he did first, I think, depending on that criteria, made-up criteria. Yeah, when did <laughs> when did Tenacious D form? Oh, I think it was, like, 98 or something like that. How did Bob Dylan direct this movie? Okay, when was he in Waterworld? Bob Dylan? Not Bob, sorry, Jack Black. Oh, I don't think he was in Waterworld, was he? Oh, was he? I don't, okay. I don't remember him in Waterworld, but who knows. Okay, never mind. Tenacious D, let's see when they started. Is it, oh, that would, that would have been a while back. 94. 94. Okay. Yeah, but nobody knew who they were until, like... Yeah. No, that's the thing. TV show. Or, like, around the year 2000 or something. Yeah, that's why I thought, like, 98. A few years before the show. But is Jack Black directed something? That's the question. That's I'll find bad. out. But how did Bob Dylan direct this movie? Was he dead when it was made, or...? <laughs> no, because it has, like... Bob Dylan's still alive. Is he? It looks like a mainstream movie, and it has like a stellar cast. He sold all his like rights to was it Sony or somebody just to like pay for his kid. Oh wow! I was sure he was dead. That just shows you like how reclusive he is. Robert Downey Jr. Um... Yeah, and Jack Black's not directed any films. He directed some TV episodes, but no films. That counts. That counts. <laughs> oh no! Then then yeah, that would expand it out hugely. I'm sure. Yes, because then I would. Yeah, if you if you take Jack Black, then I say you gotta take Lady Gaga. Gaga. I said directors, so I didn't specify movies nor TV shows. Oh, uh, but what if it's like one-off episodes, like CSI? Why not? Maybe Eminem jumped in. I'll direct this episode. I don't know. Well, I would like to still watch those um, whatever episodes it was that Quentin Tarantino did on TV. Okay, I don't oh. know if he directed, but he scripted them at least. Yeah, he directed. I was there. I watched those live. Okay, there you go. I mean, I want to watch those at some point. My parents just loved CSI, so they were going to watch it anyway, but I knew Quentin Tarantino direction. I was like, holy crap, here we go. Yep, just like he did, like, because I was a fan of J.J. Abrams back when he was doing, um, well, even Felicity, but what was the show after that with Jennifer Garner? Or, um, oh, Alias. Alias. So I was a big fan of that show, and Tarantino came in and did an episode Oh and, wow! And it, it was so obvious that this was, you know, under the influence of Quentin Tarantino. I want to say because Roger Moore was in it, and it was like Tarantino was doing like wow. his version of like a a Bond episode or something. Let's go. I did not know about that. that oh is... yes. Oh, oh yes. Wow. That's what we gotta watch at some point. <laughs> <laughs> TV shows directed by or TV episodes directed by major movie uh, Hollywood movie directors. <laughs> Oh, we'll go with Columbo. Uh, well, that's okay. That's we're not counting that because we're gonna do Columbo at some point as well. So don't worry. That's like the whole series? No. I'd love it, but we probably won't. No, 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 no. <laughs> Only specific ones that like are curated by Caleb and Sean. 
okay. Yeah, and I guess Steve, if we can grab him. I'm sure he's got his favorites. And yeah, Okay, yeah, and Steve. <laughs> Since those two did that podcast together. Somehow, because, I don't know, like, because I, I have my own weird idiosyncrasies when I run my actual podcast or the ones that I created. And I guess Sean has his own thing in his own head that only he knows about how he runs the podcast that he runs. Because I always wanted to be on the Clumbo thing, but it's like there's some unwritten rule that no one's allowed to guess. Uh, or at least yeah. no one named it's, Eric. It started after the end of the tavern. They were kind of, they had some bad experience with guests, I guess. And they were like, okay, from now on, what should we watch? And I always wanted to get more into Columbo, but like I said, hard no. Same thing with Murder, She Wrote. I was like, I'm down with this. It was like, hard no. Well, Eric, I can at least say that your interest in Columbo has met you or netted you with a spot on this un absolutely uh, un uh, unaired and or like not yet uh, filmed or recorded episodes of Columbo that we'll do on this channel, and so yeah, of course, because why not? And I'll just uh, for the last few notes, it definitely wasn't just you for the Columbo confab. There was some other Columbo podcasts that contacted them, asking if they could like collaborate. And there was a hard no on any guests. Like they they just weren't interested for that or should we watch or murder she wrote. So so I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe Steve's just like I'd rather just do our own thing and because the tavern they had so many guests all the time. That was like a guest hub back in the day. And maybe it was just a little too much for them. Oh, and also uh, I wanted to mention this, Isaac. I don't know if I ever told you, but it was because of Sean's elaborate uh, stories that he would make up about Steve. That any time that you wouldn't show up back in the beginning when it, when we started having guests, uh, I would make up things about you. I just took that from Sean and his stories totally about Steve. <laughs> I approved of them actually. I was like, "Let's go." What stories did you make up about Isaac? Oh, I don't remember. Um, I would usually just write them in the descriptions, like he was on his way to record with us, but then he got in trouble with the law or something like that, oh. or that he got attacked by a wildcat or something. I used to go off in my descriptions because I would get drunk when I'd write them. Interesting. So they would just turn ridiculous. Like, are we talking like a year or two ago, or or when? Yeah, whenever uh, whenever we started having guests. Actually, it was before we started having guests. And I think about it. Remember, I would just like write these really ridiculous descriptions for the episodes. I'm not remember that. <laughs> Which I wish you did more of, but I guess like, eh, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's because I don't write them drunk anymore. Oh. I usually write them. Well, that's a shame. In the middle of the day. Before, I used to write them the night before I would publish them, once I finished editing them. But now my editing's always done well in advance, like a week or two in advance. So. Oh, oh and, and Caleb, I told you before about when I used to be on this podcast called the 2 a.m. show. That was me with all safeties off, like the most unfiltered me. And I, I tried searching the internet so hard trying to find... That's it, it's unfindable. I wish I could find some bit of that so that you could see what um, uh, what me and oh, what was I can't remember Haley's original name off the top of my oh uh, Julian what me and Julian were doing back then because um, it was it was like we were playing improv games with each other really is what it was um, a lot of free association. Um, and we'd start talking about Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or whatever. And we kind of, it's like we were doing an improv game, uh, unannounced, because we'd just be riffing off whatever the next person would say. And eventually, all roads would always lead 
to like Nazism. Like we can oh, start no. talking about anything, and it would always eventually God get Godwin's law. Godwin's right law. Every time. Godwin's law. Anything, any conversation, no matter how like uh, uh, not subtle, but um. Uh, civil. However, however, uh, whatever the civil conversation may be, will always lead back to Nazis. There we go. And I could derail off there a million ways, and I want to, but I'm going to try to steer steer us forward. Oh wait, 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 wait! Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. So what was what was that? Uh, who is it that was it Jack Black or who was it that directed that? Uh, wait. Oh no, what was that? Uh, the the not Blue Easter called the uh, Talking Talking Heads. Uh, what was his name? Oh, True Stories. Yeah, David Byrne. Yeah, no, true stories, but you know, I feel like uh, some of those might just be true lies. <laughs> I, I, love the, I love the transition, but I can't use it. <laughs> Screw you, use it, dang it. Because it wouldn't make any sense in the context of the episode. <laughs> Doesn't matter, just like tr tr whatever.